and it baffles me in modern day Christianity and a lot of Christians will believe that that Jesus had obedience unto death so everyone else could be disobedient. It makes absolutely zero sense. Hello and welcome. I'm Jody O'Dell. Thanks for joining us on Walk Like a Hebrew. This podcast is about the people of Yahovah, also known as God, Yahweh, Yahuwah, and maybe more, who have discovered the roots of our faith go much deeper than we ever expected. We were called out by the creator of the universe himself from a life of shallow, comfortable faith into an adventure of mind-blowing awakening and true joy in our salvation. Here you will hear the stories of everyday people whose world was turned on its head and a life of walking like Yeshua suddenly became the most important thing. This is episode 36, an interview with James and Angela Holland of Texas. This is the couple behind the Facebook page Herbs of the Torah and Set Apart Farms, a nonprofit for injured veterans and their families. James, a backslidden Christian and Iraq war vet with major injuries, and Angela, a nearly lifelong pagan chasing the lure of the supernatural, had a quiet encounter with the God of the Bible that quickly changed everything. We talk about what happens when you ask God for understanding, their struggles with the VA, how their new faith is directing their entire future and the future of the families of other injured vets, and why they call themselves Christians. There may even be a little talk about some controversial pharmacaea subjects in there, so heads up. Welcome to Walk Like a Hebrew. I'm Jody O'Dell, and I'm here this morning with James and Angela Holland. How are you guys doing this morning? We're doing great, Jody. Thank you so much for having us on the show. We we really appreciate it. We feel blessed and honored to be able to yeah. share a testimony. Thank yes, you. Yes, thank you so much. I'd like first to talk a little bit about, just real quick, mention your ministries. You have your real-life ministry and you have a Facebook ministry. Can you just talk about those real fast? Uh, well, we have a nonprofit, and it's not necessarily a ministry, but it's definitely faith-based and family-driven. So we incorporate our faith into the nonprofit, which is called Set Apart Farm. And the outreach and focus is the veteran community, really trying to get them involved in healing their family unit with God's good ways. Um, our My Facebook page is Herbs of the Torah. And that is, again, you know, focusing on incorporating his good ways into our life through what we put into our body and how we walk out the Torah in our daily lives. Awesome. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself personally? Just basic things. So um, you see me and Ange, uh, we got married back in 2009 and uh, we have uh, four kids, one uh, together. I have three from a previous marriage. And... Um, I was in the Marine Corps for a little over 12 years, uh, sustained some injuries, ended up getting out. Now we're kind of on this journey of helping to, to heal veteran families, uh, like Angela was saying, with our nonprofit. We try to focus on the entire family. There's a lot of veteran programs out there, but they're all inclusive to the veteran only. And we would like to incorporate the entire family because we believe that that's kind of that, that veteran's new unit is that family. They're one. And so we incorporate the whole family in our in our program. You know, God really did a great working in our marriage. When we met, James was falling away from war and not having a a really solid foundation in scripture. And I was actually pagan. I was pagan for over 20 years. So when we were starting to experience some of these things um, with the veteran issues we were having, uh, we can get into that, you know, a little bit later. That's when God really showed himself in our marriage, in our lives 
Oh, that sounds wonderful. You mentioned that you were pagan. Can you kind of explain exactly what that looks like? I know a lot of people when they, especially people who've been Christians their entire lives, when they hear the word pagan, they think of, you know, well, I don't know what other people think of, but the first thing that comes into my mind is, you know, naked witches dancing around a fire in the middle of the night. And, you know, I just, I don't really know what that looks like. I don't have much of a frame of reference for that. Can you kind of, you know, expound on what that really looks like? So I was, I was raised Catholic, right? And so catechism, early baptism, even CCD. But I found I had a lot of questions that were never answered. And I continually got pushed away with those questions. Scripture wasn't read in my home. And it was more like Catholic for image. And so, you know, unfortunately, I had never had the Bible read to me. So when things started happening in life and I had nothing to really turn to, I turned to the world. And so by 15, and I'm 42 now, by 15, um, I was really looking into occult practices. I was looking into the pantheon. Now, I've always been a researcher, so there was a lot of study involved for me. So I studied the pantheon, the gods and the goddesses. I started dabbling in occult practices and literally, you know, invoking these deities. There's tons of books that tell you how I dabbled in being Wiccan. You know, when my my husband met me, I had a room dedicated to altar worship with the, the Pantheon. And I was studying the Sumerian tablets and texts and really turning to these things because I could validate them. Um, there was the supernatural in them. I worked at a psychic shop even um, at the front register. So I was around aura readers and mediums and just this whole culture and world. And yes, some of them do what exactly what you were saying. Um, that's the, a little bit of a darker side. I was more involved in the love and light and harm none, tarot cards, astrology. I, I really couldn't stay with one. I, I tended to jump around over the years because I wanted to study and experience it all. But there was that element of supernatural that was driving me. In addition, during those years of being pagan, I had some Christian friends and they, you know, would want me to check out their church. And there were a few times that I did. But the turnoff for me was that these same people would go to the same parties, do the same things, you know, for the most part, even observe the same holidays that I was observing. And I'm like, I don't really see you representing anything different than I already do. They didn't have any apologetics. They couldn't speak to me about their scripture. And I felt, you know, that they were very uneducated and weak in their faith. When anyone asked me about the Pantheon or what I was doing, I could explain it. I could validate it. I could take you to ancient manuscripts and texts. I could take you to ancient artifacts and buildings. And so, you know, I really became enveloped in that world, um, not just on a whim, but because I found validation for it. And I found that spark of supernatural. Unfortunately, I dabbled in all aspects of it. And in doing so, uh, there were many, many years that I spoke against the Bible and against Yeshua, you know, Jesus. And yet, all the while, his hand was still covering me and protecting me, which when I came to the faith was even, you know, more emotional and sealed the deal for me that you know, he is the truth and the way. Wow. Yeah, that, that supernatural is kind of a, it's, it's like a siren song to people who, who know that there's a God. They know that there's a creator, but they don't know where to look for him. 
Exactly. You know, and I've, I like to still, you know, outreach to that community because they have the heart for worship, you know, and unfortunately they seem to know more about worship and obedience in all the wrong ways, but they are very dedicated. Uh, they research, they have no problem being able to talk to you about it. But again, you know, unfortunately, sincere people sincerely doing the wrong thing. Idolatry is never going to get you close to him and walking in the way. And in addition, you're making a lot of contracts and assignments that carry over to your family that you're going to have to deal with when you come to the faith, as I have. You know, there was a lot of spiritual warfare when I first crossed over. I had a lot of things that I had to destroy and get rid of that over the years I had gathered in the pagan shops that I worked with and the the pagan places, a lot of rocks, crystals, even jewelry. And I really had to go back and break those contracts and assignments and, and seal them, you know, with the blood of Yeshua, because those things, they bleed over into your life and they're very, very real. Um, and a, yeah. so a lot of our, our faith-based community doesn't really talk about that in the way that they need to. So I, I have gained insight from that with, with what I've learned as well. And you know that he always takes the bad and uses it for good. He does. So, James, how about you? What was your faith background like? So um, I grew up kind of in mainstream Christianity church. And, you know, I was uh, I was actually baptized by John Osteen. It's funny how that turned out because back when that happened, one of the other pastors that was working there with John Osteen is actually someone who we turn to now uh, for ministry. He's now come to Torah. So uh, he was more than likely he was actually there the day I was baptized in John Osteen's church. And then all these years later, we come together and now he's got his own ministry and he's teaching the Torah, Triumph and Truth Ministries. Like Angela said, I didn't have a good foundation. You hear the term, there's no such thing as as an atheist in a fighting hole. Well, that's right. not true. I became an atheist in a fighting hole. It was combat is what, what made me fall away. So I was in Fallujah in 04, and I was seeing good things happening to bad people, bad things happening to good people, and I couldn't understand why. I couldn't understand, you know, what was going on. We're, we're praying, you know, we believe in Jesus, we believe in God, and, you know, why are, why are these guys dying, and, and why is this happening? And so I had turned my back on the whole thing. I figured, well, you know, maybe there is a God, maybe there is a creator, but he, I don't think he cares too much about us anymore. So I kind of went that way. As a matter of fact, I could tell you the date. It was uh, July July 3rd, 2004 is when that happened. Bringing us full cycle to whenever we, we came to came back to him, it was almost 13 years to the day, as a matter of fact. So my life was kind of 13 years of chaos going up and down. And, and I think the the issue was, you know, there's a, there's a book, John Bunyan wrote a book, The Pilgrim's Progress. And one of the mm-hmm. characters in that book is uh, Pliable. You know, he was all about heaven and Jesus and God. He, he thought it sounded great. And uh, as soon as he got dirty and things started to go wrong, he was like, oh, th- this isn't what I thought it was. And he left it. Well, that was me. I was pliable. And I think you see that a lot now in, in mainstream Christianity. And, and uh, you know, you just don't have that good, strong foundation. So when things go wrong, you're, you're trying to find something to blame. And uh, it's really easy to blame God. So can you tell me a little bit about how? Well, I want to know a lot. I want to know every detail. I mean, as, as far as possible, <laughs> as far as it's practical, about what exactly led you onto the Torah path. My wife. <laughs> My <laughs> wife, she was the influence in our home on it. Um, Isn't that funny? A pagan brought him to God. <laughs> right. That's, that was, is so um, ironic. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, we had we had kind of hit, you know, this was all post-surgery. So I had I had uh, sustained some injuries on, in combat and uh 
when I got out of the Marine Corps, the thing was, hey, go check into the VA. They'll be able to do your surgeries and things like that. So I had done that. I checked into the VA. Uh, they were really short on orthopedic surgeons at the time. And so I basically got put on a waiting list. Um, and then I got bounced around from VA to VA to VA. And six months led to a year, a year led to two years, two years led to four years. And so I was on this waiting list for these surgeries for over four years. All the while, the, the VA was kind of compensating my pain with, with painkillers, with oxycodone and, and things like that. So I was on prescription medication for over four years trying to numb out from uh, the pain that I was in while I was waiting on getting these surgeries that I needed. So we had finally got the call to get the surgeries, and the VA, had they had botched it. It, it had all gone wrong. So um, I went in, and, and I was supposed to be, you know, an eight to ten week recovery. And uh, after they had, you know, started looking at stuff, they were like, uh-oh, something went wrong here. Well, that eight to ten weeks turned into about 18 months of not having any use of my right arm at all, as well as uh, the mobility of my head. Couldn't look left, right, up, or down. So Angela got thrust into the uh, full-time caregiver role really quick. Um, I, You know, I wasn't even able to drive, dress myself, shower properly. So she had to take care of me. So we really hit a, a low point. On top of that, well, obviously not being able to go back to work because I couldn't use my dominant arm or, you know, move my head around. Our savings dwindled really quick, and we had to start selling everything we could, you know, furniture, vehicles, just to try to, you know, stay afloat, to try to pay bills or just buy groceries. And then it got to a point where it was like, okay, bills don't matter now. It's We just have to feed ourselves. So we had really hit a low point, and we ended up on the campus of a, of a VA uh, facility, because I was literally doing about anywhere from 11 to 13 appointments a week trying to figure out how to fix the situation. And Angie was having to take care of me as well as our daughter was uh, three years old at the time, two or three. She turned three when we were there. So okay. So she was two to three. Right. So she was having to take care of both of us and take me around, like I said, 11 to 13 appointments a week. So we were, we were pretty busy and I basically had become a, a professional VA patient. So it was the, the low point in my life for sure. Depression had set in really hard. I found myself and Angela were arguing quite a bit. You know, it, it just wasn't, nothing was lining up. I remember specifically this one day we had gotten to a, a pretty big argument. I decided I was going to take my truck and leave and go drive. Go drive. I shouldn't be driving. I couldn't look. <laughs> could only use one arm, couldn't look left or right. Um, but I did. I jumped in the vehicle and I left. You know, we had some, some certain things had happened and I finally had cooled off and had come back. And when I had come back to Ange and, you know, she was still upset about the argument that we had had. She had had a, a package delivered. So she had a FedEx box on the ground and she had a, a Bible. And next to that was another Bible. And uh, I was kind of like, okay, what's going on here? You know, we just get into a big argument. I come back and she had two Bibles laid out on the floor. What's this all about? So while we were there struggling with everything that had come before, you know, our, our marriage in shambles, our family in shambles, our, our bank account pretty much non-existent, People were sending me Bibles, which I thought was so strange because um, I, I spoke against the Bible. And these two Bibles that I had laid out were not just like the typical Bible. They both had this beautiful teal color. The cover, like the cover was beautifully embroidered. I mean, they were very distinct from the average Bible, but they looked the same. And, you know, that, that supernatural that I had always chased. It has a feeling that comes with it. And this was very different than I had felt before, like a real internal stirring. And I was looking at James and I'm like, I think I'm supposed to read the Bible. Like, I know this doesn't make sense, but I need to read these Bibles that keep showing up. Like something is happening and I don't understand it, but I'm, I'm going to try. 
And so, you know, I attempted to read the Bible and I've heard this from so many other people. So I totally understand. I couldn't understand it. I was reading Genesis and I was getting so frustrated. You know, so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so. <laughs> and they're living 900 years and like what is happening? There seems like these big gaps. And, you know, I closed it and I was telling James, I'm like, this is the first book that like is frustrating me. Like I'm a researcher. I have I have been a studious reader my entire life. I can't figure this book out. It's like there's something to it. I'm not going to quit, but I'm having such a hard time understanding what I'm reading. And so I felt the need to talk to God, which was not something per se that I, I did in the way that I was about to do it. You know, so I, I went and I talked to God and I didn't really know how, but I just kept it as simple as a child did. And I said, God, I said, I feel like you want me to read this. I feel like you want me to get to know you. And that I've been doing things wrong and that, you know, I've been searching you. And I feel like you you put the first step in front of me, which is this book. I said, but I, I cannot read this without you. I'm trying, you know, so I need you to help me understand your word and I'll, I'll put in the work. I have no problem doing that, but I'm going to need you to help me understand this, put the resources in front of me, you know, send me to the right links when I'm trying to study this because I I want to understand you and I want to understand what this is all about. I, I feel you calling to me. And so that's kind of how it began because then I opened it up and, you know, I don't know how to explain it. I could, I could understand it. And I started reading it and it started making sense. And I was finding these, you know, study links. Uh, I, I like to really study the context, the history, the culture. I started even studying the language, right? I was able to read it as a child, which I don't think most people are able to. I didn't have the same indoctrination teachings that a lot of people grow up when they grow up in church. I mean, it had been so long since I had sat in a CTD class. I mean, I was six or seven years old that I didn't really remember any of it. And I didn't know the stories except for maybe like Adam, Noah, and Jesus. And I really didn't even know those stories. And so as I read it, um, each time I found something like a child, I would go to James. Like take Noah, for example. Did you know that there were seven pairs of clean animals and only two of unclean? Like, what is this? Like, we were taught something else. Or like Leviticus. When I got to Leviticus, I was so excited. I'm like, this is a manual. Like, this is a manual that tells us what to eat, how to treat one another. It's like a, you know, built-in welfare system for our community, even how to take care of the earth and our animals. I did a cover-to-cover study. That's the way that I did it. And by the time I got to the end, I asked James to baptize me. And he baptized me October of 2019. And I was so blessed that James supported me every step of the way and started walking with me and reading it and studying it. You know, it led us to understand that his will for us, his good ways have never changed. He, he changes not, you know, Malachi 3.6. And these good ways set us apart and they're for our good. And like Angela was saying, so she started to ask me questions because I'd come up in the church and now found myself in that chaplain's shoes where I, they, these were tough questions that I couldn't answer. And so I kind of did the same thing she did. I, well, first I had to apologize to God. <laughs> right. We've had to do that. Yeah. Right. At that point, like I said, we were at a low point. I was willing to do anything and everything to, to just try to come out of what we were, where we were at in life. I asked the same. I prayed and said, if there's something you want me to see here, if this is what we're supposed to do, then, then help me. And again, like she said, all of a sudden these things were just making sense. And I bet I've read some of these stories so many times before, but I was seeing them completely different. She brought up the point of Noah. 
And everybody, you know, you ask eight out of ten Christians how many animals were loaded on the ark, they'll tell you two of each animal. And it's like, well, Genesis 7, 2 tells you differently. Totally. And, and I thought, what says it in the passage, Genesis 7, 2. two. Right. <laughs> and so that, that was a, a big eye-opener. Oh. And I realized maybe I hadn't read the Bible as many times as I thought. I What it was was I was sitting down and somebody behind a pew was was telling me their interpretation of the Bible. And in turn, I had just thought over time that I had read these stories over and over, but here I am reading it, and it's completely different than what was put in my head. And so then, you know, the same with Ange, we jumped in and started really studying it, because, I mean, there is a huge difference between studying and reading. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I've read a book on how to fly a helicopter, but nobody's going to be going up in a helicopter with me anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't studied it. So we really dove into it and really started to read it. And like she said, it's it's kind of a a how-to, you know, how to live your life. You know, I had had a leadership background being in the Marine Corps. And so I was able to relate, you know, especially like the New Testament with, with Jesus being in a leadership role and saying, follow me. That's what you do as a leader in the Marine Corps is you tell your guys, you, you follow me and you teach them. You're teaching them how to act in certain situations. So whenever you're not around, they're able to still continue that mission and do it the way that you taught them. And so I really started to put it together that, OK, well. Well, Jesus didn't tell us how to live and how to be so that we could go and do the opposite. If I taught my Marines how to react to a certain situation and I wasn't around anymore, I wouldn't expect them to say, oh, well, he's not here anymore. So, you know, he he did all that for us. So we don't have to do that anymore. But it, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up. And so that's kind of what started our path with, with, with Torah. 2017 is the last year that we participated in anything worldly. So we jumped in completely head to toe. It was easy for me to kind of sever those things because I never had any religious affiliation with Christmas or Easter or anything like that. I, to be honest, I always thought it was strange that believers were doing the same things that I was doing as a pagan. Right. And I was like, I don't understand how any of this has to do, uh, at that time, I would say, with your Jesus and your Bible. There's nothing about them in any of these rituals, really. It's more a, a pagan focus. And again, James was super supportive. We explained to our our daughter that we had started reading the Bible and we found out that a lot of these things were not his ways and were hurtful to them. And we explained the same thing to our family, that if you can show us where they are in the Bible, we will have a conversation with you about them. But I've been studying the Bible and these are not things that we're going to do anymore. We're going to pursue Yeshua. We're going to pursue our relationship with God. And we're going to do things that we see and validate through scripture that are pleasing to him. So since 2018, we have been following what we see in scripture as best that we can, you know, in in the times that we live in. Wow, that's an incredible story. It's really supernatural. So he got to still give me the supernatural that I was looking for. (laughs) Yes. Oh, and doesn't it just... be so good that way. Doesn't it just make you feel like special, like chosen? I'm really curious. I don't know why I'm so curious about this, but I am. What is it that you call yourselves if someone asks you about your religion? Oh, this is a good one. Yeah. We call ourselves Christians. Right. Okay. And that that seems to um, baffle a lot of people. The reason we do this is when you go back to the Greek, Christ is Greek for Messiah. And when we Mm -hmm. see Christians, it was followers of Messiah. So we stick to the biblical context of what Christians were, which is followers of Messiah or the way, which was called Haderic. And it was basically following Yeshua and Torah. And so the original definition of a Christian in the Greek was a follower of Messiah who followed him, which was Torah. Now, today that gives us a backlash and curiosity. 
Um, (laughs) A lot of people today following the faith, they don't want to be associated with Christians. And I totally get that and respect that because they're looking at the modern context of how Christians walk. And I say we need to take back what the context of a Christian is and reteach Christians what it is to be a follower of Messiah. And if we disassociate ourselves with them completely, who's going to go and gather them? And, you know, our demographic that we feel we've been led to work with is the veteran population. And a lot of veterans can understand what a Christian is. And so we we meet them where they are. And by the time we're done, hopefully lead them back to biblically what a Christian or follower of Messiah is. Right. Trying to explain yeah, following someone, it's, it's to emulate him. So to, to do what he did. And again, it took me back to the, the leadership role. If, you know, you tell someone to follow you and you're teaching a certain way, when that person goes away, all that teaching, that doesn't go away either. And it baffles me in modern day Christianity. And a lot of Christians will believe that that Jesus had obedience unto death so everyone else could be disobedient. It makes absolutely zero sense. And I don't want to hand over that term, so I don't I don't hand over things so lightly. You know, as a Marine, when we when we take terrain, we don't like to give it back. And so just handing over the name Christian to a bunch of people that are falling away or that are lost, yeah, I'll fight for it a little bit more. That's very insightful. Thank you. <laughs> it opens up the door for conversation because they're like, wait, you're a Christian, but I thought you're you're Jewish. <laughs> right. Or, you know, are you a Seventh-day Advent? You're like, how are you a Christian? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Let us tell you. <laughs> so it also gives us the opportunity to kind of explain, you know, what we just did to you. And that sparks some curiosity where maybe at least they'll go back and look, hey, you know, Christ does mean Messiah in Greek. Like Christians did mean this. Like, what else have I missed? Obviously, James, you recovered then. You had another surgery to correct the botch one. Is that correct? I did. Like I said, it was about 18 months before I was able to get the second and then the third uh, surgery on my arm. So I now have the mobility of my arm. It's not 100%, but at least I can move it. But they've corrected it somewhat, and I do have mobility back in my head. Although I still, like she said, I still go through a lot of uh, issues where I get a lot of lockups. So we're still in the process, you know, and still going through physical and occupational therapies to try to... Still trying to get a proper diagnosis, still trying to get proper services and therapies, you know. But again, I think with what we're having to deal with with the VA, it just, it helps us, it gives us that experience as well as that knowledge Mm -hmm. to be able to pass on to these other veteran families so they don't have to go through the same thing that we did. Right. We learned so much about navigating the VA, getting congressional inquiries. I mean, I literally had to tackle the VA solo. You know, James just wasn't able to for about two years. And I learned so much about the various aspects to navigating the VA so that we can then help other families do the same. And we realized through this process, trying to find a place for our family to heal after we lost our spot at the Fisher House, that there were no programs in the nation, the entire nation, where a family could go and heal in a residential situation. They wanted to separate the family. So they had a place for James and they told me and my daughter that we could stay in a shelter while James was at whatever place. And so absolutely not was I going to stay in a shelter with my daughter who had already been through enough or leave James to fend for himself when he wasn't able to do things for himself. You know, I was his advocate as well as his caregiver, which I still am in a lot of sense. And so what we decided through might be a whole nother type of interview, but through our journey was to create something that didn't exist for us. We weren't going to just say, okay, now we seem to have through lots of fights, gotten the things we need, and we're just going to walk away. 
I will say at times I tried to, you know, yeah. but, but God was like, no, like, again, I pulled you out of the muck and mire so you could go back and get some more, you know, this isn't just about you. It's about God and his glory and his plans for his people, the healing and the gathering that he wants to see happen with his people, that unity. God has thrust us through a lot of different things. And now we have set apart farms and a wonderful board of directors. And it's, it's moving in his time and he's connecting us to all the right people. And we really hope within the next six months to a year to start breaking ground and building this facility where it is going to be a place where his people can heal, restore the family unit, reconcile their relationships with him, guard their marriages and really start understanding what it is to be a family unit. Right. Yeah. Like Angela said, there was, uh, you know, we really got open, not just to the VA, do we have to go through the experiences with the VA and learn how to navigate that? Mostly her. She mostly figured that process out on herself. Um, she, you know, she has a, a research problem. Um, <laughs> but we started to contact all these other veteran organizations and we found out, well, let's say nine out of 10 of these organizations that we contacted, uh, I was denied services because I didn't have an addiction. I didn't have a drug or alcohol addiction. And that's where the money is for these organizations. That's where they get their grant money. And yeah. so I was turned away. Well, the one or two that did approve me, like she said, would would take just me. And then when it was brought up, okay, well, wh- where does my wife and three-year-old go? Well, there's a shelter down the road, and it was that was completely out of the question. There was no way I was going to fully recover in this place, knowing that my wife and child are down the road in a shelter. That was that was never an option. So we started to, you know, really dive into the whole veteran organizations, like calling every organization we can think of. And you know, I even gave her some lists. I'd start documenting this stuff. So let's take two notepads, and one's good and one's bad. And start writing down all the good things that we find out about this organization and then write down the bad. So here we are, you know, almost it's about three years later and she still has the same good notepad and has about eight bad ones. So <laughs> we realized there's a problem here and there's some gaps. And so, um, you know, there isn't, like she said, anything that where they heal the entire family as a unit, as one. And there's a lot of organizations that claim, oh, we heal veteran families. Well, they do some great retreats, but right. not long-term care. These problems right. didn't happen overnight. They're not going to get fixed in a week right. or a weekend. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a retreat thing. So that's kind of how we, you know, we it get put on us to, to let's do it right then. Let's get let's get our own thing set up and just do it the right way. Right, and to give them a place where they could heal. When we stayed at the Fisher House, you know, first off, they're not intended for long-term stays. You know, they're usually a weekend or a night. We were there for seven months, and there were up to 12 other families living there at the same time, which is an impossible environment to raise a two-year-old and to heal wounds in your marriage and family. And so we want to give these families a place where they have their own home and some space. They're really learning how to take care of themselves and their family by God's way. Right. Yeah. I can see where there's definitely a need for that. You have property already? Uh, well, right now we have a couple of different prospects for property that we're okay. looking at. And then once we, once we buckle that down, the breaking ground part will be fairly easy. We have, a, you know, some, some organizations that are willing to help, you know, donate for the supplies and the time and the building. But, and again, we're not rushing it. Something that I found out with dealing with all these different programs and organizations that we've called, they were in such a rush to want to help veterans that they kind of jumped the gun on their program. And it ended up kind of evolving into something that wasn't their original vision. And that's not what I want for ours. Uh, it's We're kind of in God's, God's right, timing. Yeah, God, say the same thing. It's God's timing. It's not yeah. ours. You know, if you leave it up to me, if you leave it up to man, we're going to get it wrong. Right. <laughs> and so we're leaving it up to him so that it's done properly the right way. Right. During um, our, our journey, there was a couple 
court cases because they took things from us that shouldn't have been. And so that's another thing we want to help veterans do is get in touch with, you know, law firms in the private sector that can help get them compensation and justice for areas that they were, you know, experiencing the same type of injustice that we did. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of these law firms take a rather large percent, like a third. And so we're always looking, you know, for partners that are going to be more generous to the veterans when they get compensation for what's owed to them. Before we wrap it up, uh, I do want to ask you about resources. Yes. Okay. So for doctrine, as far as context of scripture, these are our two favorite places, Triumph and Truth and Beth Yeshua International. And I love those because you get each side. You get, with Triumph and Truth, a mainstream Christian that came over to Torah. And with Beth Yeshua International, you get a wonderful Jewish man who's come over to Yeshua. So I think both of those are so great to see both sides because we're supposed to be uniting both into one. And they um, really do that. For study tools, Ancient Hebrew Research Center is amazing to help you learn um, what you're really seeing when you see that Hebrew language and the depth of it and the Dead Sea Scrolls translated. And then the last one, you know, I'm a little biased, but I really like Herbs of the Torah. <laughs> right. Thank you guys so very much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Your story you. is amazing, and I know it's going to probably resonate with a lot of people. Thank you for listening to Walk Like a Hebrew. If you enjoy this program, please leave a review on our Facebook page or your podcast app. You can find links to the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes by visiting the link tree in our Instagram bio and Facebook or by visiting sheholdsforth.com. Walk Like a Hebrew is now a ministry of Roadside Ministries, a faith-based private membership organization. I can now offer tax receipts for donations made to Roadside Ministries for the podcast. Please email me at sheholdsforth at gmail.com for more information. There are many other ways to support Walk Like a Hebrew, including getting yourself some sweet Walk Like a Hebrew merchandise on eBay or Etsy, or subscribing to the show at podhero.com. As always, many, many thanks to Jack Lane for the music. May Yahuwah bless you. We'll catch you next time.